All right. Let's bring it back in, guys. We have a guest speaker tonight, my What's dear up? friend, my dear friend John. Is that a movie? Hi. Uh, my dear friend my John. My dear friend John. I'm sure it is. Is that a movie? I'm sure. Someone? Dear John. Dear no, John. No, no, no. He's my dear friend. P.S. I love you. That's a movie, too. Anyway. Okay. We're, we're on rom-coms now. We don't yes. want to get on rom-coms. Pink Panther. Pink How many Panther. movies can we do? Uh, I love movies. A lot of movies. Okay. Rambo. John, how do we know each other? Why are you here? Um, that's a good question. Why am I here? Um, because it's warmer here than it is in Iowa, so I came. Mm, the place is the um, worst. Yeah. And I'm from Louisiana. I know Timmy there. I met, I remember the first time I ever met you, it was at our college service at LSU, and Timmy was a angsty freshman with no a, with a ponytail <laughs> and it's same ponytail hasn't gone anywhere and the service was over and he went over and got on the piano and he was over there playing like oh like you were it was soulish but it was obvious you were trying to impress a few people yeah, yeah. and yeah, I was like oh that, that person's here by the way I know I she's yeah here. look at that hi Lindsay she's pregnant too she's due this month <laughs> wow that's exciting it, it works so guys grow your ponytail out learn how yes. to play the piano become angsty he's like no uh-uh yeah, that's okay. You got a beard. Timmy can't do the beard, so you got to do. <laughs> whoa, <laughs> right? whoa! Right? Right? Whoa! It's, I'm sorry. Whoa. That's how. Maybe you can. <laughs> can we get some more light in here, please? Uh, okay. What else? Who am I? Yeah. Who are you? I'm a child of God. I'm a Come husband. Uh, man, you know what is different? I'll tell who I am. But first, last year when I was here, y'all didn't have Hayden. Like, no, we didn't. Eight, no. The so, greatest upgrade like, of all time. Eight, right. That's a <laughs> Wait, wow. <laughs> I, I'm not really, we'll just keep going. But anyway, great to meet you. Very poor um, choice of words. So um, my, a little bit of my story, and it'll come out tonight, but um, my wife and I moved to China in 2009, and we planted churches there. And I get to lead an organization called Campus to Campus, and we partner with churches in the SALT Network and churches outside the SALT Network to do probably what our name sounds like. We work with churches that love campuses like Cincinnati and Xavier, and we help them send their students and their leaders to places like India and Japan to preach the same gospel that's changing you to students who have maybe never met Christ. And then we leave teams there. Um, like, we tell them where we're going to leave them. We're not just like, hey, by the way, well, we're coming later. back. Never. No. We, and they, they plant their lives there in order to see churches planted. They're going to reach not just students, but reach the city and reach the unreached of the country. And so we've gotten to do that in six countries, mostly in Asia. Um, and we're going to continue to pray that God will allow us to do that more. So, yeah. Yeah. No, and I was just blown away. I mean, you were talking earlier how it is not an uncommon thing for you to reach a student there, meet a student there, and then you will be the first person who ever tells them the name of Jesus. It's mind-boggling. Yeah. I mean, the things we take for granted, you'll meet people often, and they're like, yeah, Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, and Jesus are like in the same sentence. So they may have known of Jesus, mm -hmm. but no factual evidence that he would be the real person we worship. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're excited you're here. You going to pray for me? Yeah, I'll pray for you. We're stepping out of Romans 8 tonight. John has something for us. In the Gospel of Mark, it's going to be great. And I'll pray that um, God will use this time. Father, we love you so much. Thank you that we get to gather in this smelly gymnasium to make much of a very extraordinary, incredible God. And Lord, I pray that you speak to us tonight through your word, um, that we'd be present here. There's so much going on with classes, finishing up texts this week, plans for next week. Lord, will we just be present here and will we listen to what you have for us and will we look to obey you in light of what you've done for us. Lord, you are our God. You are our King. We love you so much. We praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thanks, man. 
Um, I'm really excited to be with you guys, and I get to talk about something I love, God's heart for the nations to come to know Jesus. Um, I don't know, were you at, who was at the SALT conference a couple weeks ago? Let's go, okay, I was there, and like every time something like that happens, there's a lot of things that God does in my heart, but when you're in a room with 4,700 college students from all across the United States worshiping one person, it just starts to get you, at least it gets me dreaming like, man, this is such a privilege, but what about, what about a country like India? A country like India where this year they will pass China as the most populous country in the world. And a city like Mumbai, India, where we have a team working, and there are over 30 million people in that city, which is crazy, and almost a million of those are students. And India has more unreached people groups in its country than all the other countries of the world put together. And so I start to, I'm in that space worshiping Christ in that, in, with you, and it's incredible, but I start to dream what would it look like for this to spread across the globe. For students to be so on fire for Christ that they gather and they proclaim his name and they sing to him and they pray to him and they sacrifice their lives so that others will know. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And, and you might wonder, is it still even important that we talk about this in a time where you can get anywhere in the world in about a day and a half? The, the answer is yes. It's huge that we talk about it. Because even today, almost 40% of the world are what we consider unreached peoples. And, and an unreached people group is a group of people that have less than 2% of their population that are believers. And the reason that 2% mark is important is because sociologists believe that that's the number that is necessary to sustain any kind of movement. So that would mean if you were in a room with 100 people, less, it would be two or less that would be believers if you were in an unreached people group. And many of them have zero people that are believers. So 40% of the planet today, over 3 billion people are considered unreached, meaning they'll live and marry and die without ever meeting Jesus. So this is still incredibly relevant. And even if those number, numbers weren't so high, it would still be relevant because this is God's passion. And, and so we could look at many places, but we're going to jump in and look at Jesus' passion for this. And I love this story because this is probably one of the oddest, strangest moments in, in Jesus' earthly life, which is saying a lot because he had some strange moments. But this is one of those moments where I'm not sure you could find another time where he was angrier. Do you know where we're going? Think, when did you see Jesus the angriest? Like the most, you're like, dang, okay, I'm out of your way. Like, like we're going to look at Mark 11. So if you have a Bible or device and there's Bibles under your chairs, you can turn there. Um, and it's going to be, I think, up here. We're going to read Mark 11. We're going to read 9 through 11. And then we'll jump to verse 15. And if you'd be so kind to stand for the reading of the word, thank you. So follow along with me. There it is. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Then we're going to skip to verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. 
And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations, for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Um, and so we're gonna, it's going to be pretty simple outline here. We're going to see the reason for Jesus' passion here in this passage. We're going to see the reason for it. Then we're going to see the story of that passion. And then we're going to see the invitation that that passion of Christ has on us. And just, just kind of to kind of ground this in where we are in life right now, this is the Easter season. Um, some of you maybe grew up going, having like Ash Wednesday services. This is the season of Lent. It's like 40 days of prepare, preparation for Easter. We get ready for Christmas for weeks. And we don't spend a lot of time getting ready for Easter. But this is a time where we're getting ready for the passion of Christ. And that word passion comes from the Latin word to suffer. Because when you're passionate about something, you will suffer for it, right? Even if you're not planning on it, if you're passionate about it, you will. I needed Raising Cane's today. Why? Because it's not in Iowa. Not enough of them in Iowa. And it's from Baton Rouge. You're like, why did you need fried chicken? I, I don't know. But I was willing to suffer for it. And so we got it. So we're going to look at Jesus and why he was willing to suffer for the nations. And we're going to see the reason for that. And so you see it here in Mark 11. He comes in, it's on Palm Sunday, and it's kind of one of those things, if you're reading really quickly, you would miss it. He walks in and it says he goes to the temple, looks around, and then leaves. Nothing happens. Uneventful. But I think Jesus saw everything he needed to see, and it gave him time to pray that evening. Because when he shows up the next day, man, he is hot, right? Like, he is on fire. And, and you're like, man, whoa, okay, is this, wh where is cranky Jesus coming from? You know, like, did someone's donkey cut him off on the way into town? Like, and he's camping, so maybe he slept with Peter. And I just assume that Peter snores. So it's like, you know, is he mad about that? And maybe you're happy that Jesus is cranky because you can relate to him a little bit more. But this isn't cranky Jesus. This is on fire Jesus because he loves the glory of his father and he loves people. And he enters in and what he starts to do is he drives out he drives out everyone who's selling animals for sacrifices. He overturns their temp, their, their tables. The, the same word for drive out is the same word that is used for when Jesus drives demons out of people. So this is, this is violent in a sense. Like he's removing them and he's throwing over tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And then it says he won't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple courts, which I've been there and I've seen what they're talking about. Basically, he's talking about people were using the temple complex as a shortcut to get into the city. And he's like, not happening. Go somewhere else. And everyone's just obeying. This is just God in the flesh here on fire. And then he starts to teach them. So it shows you he's just not just burning with anger, but he's in his right mind. He's driving out the, the noise and the chaos, and then he slows down. And he starts to teach them, and he says, this is the true purpose of the temple. My house is a house of prayer for all the nations. And in Matthew, the same account, it tells us that Jesus starts to heal the blind and the lepers. So he's restoring health. He's teaching people the true purpose of the temple. So let me give you a little bit of background here on why Jesus is so angry. This is the 
the week of the Passover, which is one of the big festivals which would draw Jewish people from all over the world to come to Jerusalem to celebrate God's deliverance of the people out of Egypt. So when they're coming, if you're traveling from a far away, from a far away place, you're not going to want to travel with your sacrificial lamb. And so you're also probably not going to have the money that you need there. So you're going to want to exchange money. You're going to want to buy a lamb in Jerusalem because it's easier to kill someone else's lamb than your buddy that maybe your daughter likes. So, you know, you're traveling there. So having people exchanging money and buying animals for sacrifices, that's not the problem. In fact, in Jerusalem, on the Mount of Olives, right to the east of the temple, there were three markets that were set up so that people could exchange money, buy sacrifices, and come to the temple. But it's not happening over there right now. Jesus is at the temple, and what he finds is a a market that is full of business and commerce and greed and noise. And if you've ever been overseas and you've been to like an outdoor market where you can buy anything Some things are still alive and you can buy and eat it or you can buy clothes, all this stuff. It's crazy, right? It's fun to go into, but you can't hear yourself and you don't want to worship there. And yet this is what Jesus finds at the very temple of God, the one place on earth where God's presence dwelt. Do you understand the temple, the purpose of the temple was so that God's glory could be in the midst of his people and it would be safe? And this is the one place where heaven meets earth and people could come to worship God. And what you're supposed to find there is a sacred space to be drawn near to him. And how ironic that they, draw, they come and all they find is noise. But here's the real problem. It's not just the greed. It's not just the commerce. It's not just the noise that's going on. The real problem that is making Jesus so angry is where all of this is happening. I know it's kind, of, it's kind of masked a little bit when it says this happened at the temple. But do we have the slide? Um, the temple was an enormous complex. Over 36 acres um, Herod had extended the temple to. And this is happening in the court of Gentiles. So you might get lost. So let me explain to you what this means. The temple was not one big room that everyone could enter into. The temple was full of rooms that were separated from other rooms. And it was very exclusive. In the middle, where it's gold there, the holy place, that is the place where the, all, the Ark of the Covenant had dwelt. That is the place where one priest could go one day out of the whole year to make a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. Besides that, no one was supposed to go in there. In the Ark was the law and, and, and Aaron's staff. And outside of the whole, that's called the most holy place or the holy of holies, there was the holy place. And priests could go into the holy place. They had the bread of presence and they had incense and candles there. And then outside of the big beautiful building, you see the court of the priest. That's where they would make the sacrifices and they had the bronze altar and the water basin where they would wash themselves. Only priests and Levites could go into that. So again, super exclusive. And then right where the gate of uh, Nicanor is, they, see, they call it the Israelite courtyard. Only Jewish men could go there. And then outside of that court, you see the women's courtyard. It was called the court for Jewish women and children. Only Jewish women and children can go there. Do you see where the Gentiles can go? On the far right, that's the court of Gentiles. So if you were not a Jew, that is as far as you could go. No matter how far you had traveled, no matter how many hundreds of miles you had come from, that's as close as you could get to the presence of God and their understanding at that time. And that is where all of the market stuff is happening. 
It's happening in the court of Gentiles. The one space that they could come to pray and to worship God. So five degrees removed. Holy place. The most holy place. The courts. All these courts are the Gentiles. And in that space is nothing but commerce. And Jesus is angry. Because he knows that people who have come, they want to know God. And they want to experience God. And they want to be in, but they can't be in. And, and all of us have probably experienced that in some way, shape, or form. Like wanting to be on the inside of something but not allowed in. This is a, a light example, but um, Kevin Durant, when I lived in China, Kevin Durant would come in the summers to promote his shoes because my city made his shoes. And so he played basketball in my apartment complex. I didn't play against him, and that's not the story. But he did shoot in my apartment complex on these basketball courts, and so everyone wanted to be there. I think the entire city was there. And so me and my boys wanted to be in there. And so, like, some of the guys were bold enough to just slip through. They didn't care about tickets, so they got in, and they were, they were close to where KD was going to play a game of three-on-three, three, and they were hoping they would even get to do that. And quickly, someone said, hey, you're not supposed to be in here. You don't have tickets. You're not important. And they were ushered out of the court to the outside where they couldn't see KD anymore. They were wanting to be on the inside, but they were on the outside. Jesus' anger is truly triggered here because he knows that there are people who have come. They have come from a far distance and they want to be on the inside. They want to meet God. And there's just noise they're finding there. And so he quotes the scripture, the quote about this is supposed to be a house of prayer for the nations, but you've turned it into a den of robbers. It's from a prophecy in Isaiah, Isaiah 56. I'm going to read you this prophecy because this is, this is powerful, right? Like he, listen to what he says. He says, this is the promise about what God would do. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house, my temple, and within my walls a monument and a name better than an everlasting name that shall never be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, by the way, that's us, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. And their burnt offerings for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to myself. So, so Jesus knows this is the purpose of the temple. It was never supposed to be with all these barriers that kept people out. We were supposed to be inviting people in. And he knew it was going to happen. And he shows up and he sees that they are not allowed in. And this is his passion. He wants people to be able to draw near to God. So let me ask you this question. When you hear this story and you saw those barriers and you saw where the Jews could go but where the Gentiles had to stop, where would you be in that story? How close could you get to God under this system? I think it's easy for us to hear the story and be like, oh yeah, I would have been right there in the center. But unless you have Jewish blood, unless you were from the tribe of Levi and from the family of Aaron, you weren't going to get very close. We were on the outside looking in too. And this is why Jesus came to fight for us. So that we wouldn't be outside wondering if God was inviting us in, but we would know his grace. And what I love about how this story kicks out off the passion and heart of God for the nations to draw near is that you see Jesus in a very real and vulnerable way. 
his anger is not sinfulness. His anger is love. And he's so angry that he was willing to run people out of there and then teach and heal. And it said the people who hated him wanted to destroy him. I wonder, do we sing to this Jesus? Do we pray to this Jesus? Do we read about this Jesus? Not the tame, domesticated, mild Jesus, but this Jesus who is not safe, but he is holy and good. Do we pray to him? Because this is the one who came to seek and to save the lost. So this is the reason for his passion, that people are not able to approach God. And even when they can get somewhat close to God, there's still these barriers. And so he wants to remove them. So give me a minute to show you how this passion for people to be with God, how there's a story of this that runs through the entire Bible. So we're going to run through the Bible in just a, f- a couple minutes here. And here's the question I want you, that we, you might be asking. Why was it even necessary for there to be a temple with barriers that kept some people out and let other people in. Like, why did we even need that? Why did Jesus need to come to remove those barriers so that all peoples could draw near to God and know him? And and I think to answer that question, you have to go all the way to the beginning and realize that's not how God designed humanity to thrive. When he created Adam and Eve, there was no barriers. There was a garden, and God was there, and he walked with them. He knew them. There was an intimacy that is to be longed for. But the moment that sin entered the world, and by sin I mean the moment that Adam and Eve said, hey God, we like what you do for us, but we don't need to live for you. We're great on our own. I think we're probably okay without you being the center of our lives. That was where sin entered into the world, and God immediately had to remove them from his holy presence. Because sin starts to break things and divide things and it brings and it, bring, and it creates more and more space between God and us. And so at the end of Genesis 3, there's this, God puts Adam and Eve out of his presence and he puts these scary angels at the gate with flaming swords so that if they ever tried to re-enter, they'd have to come against the angels. And the angels win every time. And so that's the beginning of this divide, this space between God and people. And so we start to see that develop and God comes to a man named Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to use you to bring people back to me. I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. You're going to have to go somewhere I'm going to show you and you're going to obey me. But when you go, you're going to be a blessing to all nations and through you, Abraham, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Meaning God's redemption plan was going to run through one family, Abraham. Not because Abraham was worthy, he needed grace too, but because this is how God was going to restore fellowship and worship. So God does that. Abraham has a a family. They grow into a nation. Before they can be a free people, they become slaves. This is a lot of story. I'm just running through it. And God delivers them out of slavery from Egypt. And he brings them into the wilderness. And they think they're about to become a nation. And he lets them camp around this mountain called Mount Sinai. And he comes down on the mountain. And this is God dwelling with his people. But do you know what's described that happens at this mountain? It says... As God is there and his presence comes down on the mountain, there are earthquakes, fire, and smoke envelops the entire mountain. Lightning and thunder fill the sky. And God looks at Moses and says, hey, Moses, don't let the people come up. And Moses is like, no one's coming up the mountain. (laughs) Like, you know, if it was just earthquakes, that would have been enough. But it's earthquakes, it's fire, it's thunder, it's lightning. And that was what came with the presence of God. And so God had to figure out a way that he could be with his people in the wilderness and throughout the rest of Israel's history 
so that it wouldn't be lethal to them because he's so holy and man, on our best days, we're still sinful. And so God said, build a tabernacle, build a temple. And they built this tabernacle. And in this tabernacle, all of a sudden, you started to see all of the things that God was trying to give them again one day, but it would take time. Because in the tabernacle, you had, you had the Holy of Holies, and you had the Holy Court, and you had the, you had the separation, but you also had promises of a better day. There was all kinds of artwork of palm trees and pomegranates and angels all through the tabernacle so that we could be reminded of the garden, of where we really long to be. And every time a priest, the high priest, this is nerd out a little bit, but if you've ever seen like or read about what the high priest wore, their clothes were, their swag was amazing. They had this great robe, and man, they had a breastplate with stones, beautiful stones on their chest and on their shoulders. And on those stones, the names of the 12 tribes were engraved so that when the high priest would go into the presence of God, he would be carrying the Israelites on his heart before them because they couldn't go yet. But God knew there would be a day where they would be able to come back. And every time he would go and see the law of the covenant before God in the ark, and he was reminded of all the ways that we fall short, that was also the very place that the sacrifice was poured out so that we could be reminded of a day where something better would happen for us. And so, guys, you fast forward a thousand years, there's a temple, and then Jesus shows up. And John 1.14 says, And the word, Jesus, God, and the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. Is literally the Greek word. The same Greek word for living in a tent is what it says Jesus came to do among us because he's God in the flesh. He's the temple of God now in our presence. And he shows up and his disciples, Philip looks at him and says, Jesus, show us the Father and we'll do anything you tell us. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And on another occasion, Jesus answered them. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. The temple and the tabernacle in the Old Testament were simply symbols of something that was much more powerful and beautiful and glorious that was found in Jesus. God in the flesh dwelling among us was going to be the very thing that we always needed and the very sacrifice that we always had to have if we were ever going to be returned and restored to the Lord. And so Jesus came to be the true and better temple. And at his death, literally, so Jesus lives this perfect life. And if this is new to you, I'm so sorry that I'm going so fast. Man, there's a lot. But Jesus lives this perfect life, and then he willingly goes to a cross to die the death of a criminal. Not because he had to, but because he chose to. And it said in the Gospels, when he died, the moment he died, the veil... Inside the Holy of Holies, that separated the Holy of Holies, the presence of God from the rest of the temple and the rest of the world, it was ripped from the top down. Literally, the moment Jesus died, this physical barrier was ripped to show us that a much deeper barrier had been removed. The spiritual, the spiritual gap between a holy God and sinful people had been removed because Jesus Christ stood in the way and said, walk over me. Walk through me, come through my blood, through my sacrifice, and you will know God because he has known you and loved you and forgiven you, and he will fill your life and change you forever. 
And so the barriers have been removed by the Lord. This is the way the writer of Hebrews says it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So please hear this as I talk about what Jesus just did. Keep in mind that Jesus did not have to do this. He joyfully chose this path. That's a huge difference, right? We all know the difference between the have to things in our life and the get to things in our life. Like, the have-to things, like if you have to go pick up someone at the airport at 6 a.m., that's a, maybe a have-to. It's not really what you really love to do unless you love somebody a lot over there. The have-tos, like chores and doing things. And maybe you're the only friend in your friend group with a truck and you have to show up for every moving. You know, it's like, man, you're not doing it joyfully. You're doing it because you're begrudgingly committed to doing it because you're a friend, you know. But the, ha- the get-tos, the get-to moments, like, playing pickleball this afternoon. Even though I lost every game to, to, to me, I had a blast. It was sunny. It was beautiful. I got to do that. He was like, at one point in time, he's like, are you having fun? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. This is great. My identity is not in whether I beat you in sports anymore, Timmy. I got 20, I got 20 years on you. It's okay. <laughs> um, so, but those, those are get-to moments. Sit down with a friend and have a great meal. Go to Colorado and go skiing with your family. You get to. Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. Yeah, still got it. Got it. Fast hands, all right. Uh, Jesus didn't have to die on the cross for you and me. He wasn't so lonely that he was like, what the hell am I going to do in heaven for all of eternity without you and me? That's not what he was saying. He got to choose this. And he chose to die for us because he chose eternity with us as his joy over not having us. That was his choice. But think of what has changed now. We don't need to see the diagram of the temple anymore. Because where is the temple of God now? Where is the spirit of God? Where is the presence of God on earth now? If the temple in the Old Testament was where heaven meets earth so that God's presence could dwell among his people, where is the temple of God now? You and me. The moment you've accepted Christ, Jesus transforms your body your soul into a temple so that you are a place of worship and a house of prayer for the nations it's you it's me we are a place of worship and a house of prayer for the nations you're like i don't pray for the nations it doesn't matter that's what you're called to do this is what a temple is in first corinthians paul says do you not know that you he's talking to the church or god's temple and that god's spirit dwells in you if anyone destroys god's temple god will destroy him for god's temple is holy and you are that temple so we've become the temple of god and not just the temple of god but we also become the priests of god who get to live as sacrifices for god every day first peter 2 9 says you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The church, the people of God, get to be the temple, the priests of God, so that wherever we go, we get to spread the blessings of Christ. Think, 
In the Old Testament, people had to travel hundreds, if not thousands of miles to come to one place in one city to worship from afar. And now wherever we go, the temple of God is present. And wherever we go, we get to invite people to draw near to experience the goodness of God. Like God's promise to Abraham over 3,000 years ago is being fulfilled that through Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. It's happening as the God's spirit draws into us. So let me, let's apply this. So we saw the reason for Jesus' passion. We saw the story of his passion. What's the invitation of his passion for us today? I'm going to give you a few. I have four. We'll see if I get all four done in time. But I'm going to give you, we're going to at least get to three of these. So here are some invitations for you and I today based on, off of Jesus' passion for all people to draw near to the Lord. The first, and this is going to sound pretty simple, the first invitation is, will you draw near? Will you draw near to the Father through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit? Will you draw near? The, the temple veil has been torn. The doors are flung, flung open. And God, the God of grace, the God who sees you, the God who knows you, the God who formed you, the God who, who rules and, and reigns over every part of your life is, is saying, will you draw near? Because I am the indestructible life. I am the author of life. I am the abundant life. Will you draw near to me to worship me and become more like me? I don't know where you are tonight. I like, again, maybe you're, this is super new and you're like, this is a lot. He says, draw near. The invitation is for all. Great or small, rich or poor, no matter your race, your gender, no matter your social economic background, no matter your relative morality, he says, draw near. I grew up in the church in the South where, you know, people talk about the gospel as if it's a common thing, but it's not as common to see the gospel. And so I grew up knowing about God. I had a grandfather for a pastor. I had a father and a mother who loved Jesus. But for me... The gospel was, I want to get out of hell and I have my sins forgiven. But, like, how special is that? Who the hell wants to go to hell? Like, nobody. Like, I wanted to go to heaven, so Jesus was my invitation to go to heaven. So I was great with that at a young age. But the rest of my life had nothing to do with being the temple of God and drawing near. It wasn't until I was 21, the age of many of you, where I met God and I realized I realized how silly, how small, how trivial the things I was living for were without Christ at the center of everything. And I realized how dumb it was to act as if I was going to wait to enjoy God in heaven. Because if I wasn't enjoying him now, why would he be my joy in heaven? And so I said, Christ, like, I want you. Like, it was time. And then he changed everything. And the best thing that happened the day after I became a Christian is someone showed me how to read the Bible and pray and to draw near to God. And so there's this verse in, the, in, in Psalms. And I don't know if this is David as a shepherd or David as a king. It doesn't really matter because it, encap in, it encapsulates David's passion. But in Psalm 27.4, this is what David prays. He says, Lord, I need you to give me one thing. There's one thing I seek. So the King David, who, had, who, who I hope he continued to pray this prayer even after he was king, who had everything, said, Lord, there's one thing I need is to dwell in the house of the Lord in order to gaze upon your beauty all my days and to inquire in your temple. 
David said, Lord, there's only one thing I truly need. I don't need more power, more, more wisdom. I don't need more riches. I need one thing, and it's to dwell in your house and to gaze upon your beauty all the days of my life. This is what Jesus is offering to us. Will you draw near? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you don't think you're not worthy. It doesn't matter. You're not. But Jesus is. Will you draw near? It doesn't matter what barriers you think should be there because of the things you have done or haven't done. Jesus knows and he still loves you and me and he sacrifices life for us. Will you draw near? Will you come in and find a father with arms wide open saying, everything you truly need is found in me, your creator and your redeemer, draw near. That's the first invitation. Jesus' passion, which led him to suffer at a cross, is first and foremost so that you and I can draw near and taste and see that God is good. That he's better than everything else. So whether you've been a believer for 10 years or you're just on the fence tonight, will you draw near? Second invitation that we see from Jesus' passion is will we live with urgency? Jesus is inviting us to live with urgency tonight. To live with urgency because there are still many people around the world who long for access. They want to be in the center of God's heart. They want to be in the middle of that temple worshiping God. But they don't know that the door is truly open. All they see is barrier after barrier, their own sinfulness, other people, whatever it might be, their circumstances, but they don't know. If you're at the uh, at SALT conference, Austin on Saturday morning preached about the Ethiopian eunuch. He was returning from Jerusalem, and he had gone to Jerusalem to worship, but I'm sure he would have seen the same things, barrier after barrier, and he was confused. Even though he had Isaiah, he needed someone to tell him that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He needed someone to explain the way is open. So I'm asking us, will we live with urgency? With whatever time you have left on this earth, will you live with urgency? Because there are 8 billion people on this planet today. And over 40% of them do not know that Jesus died for them. And they don't know that Jesus lives for them. That he rules over all things so that in him they can live for God for all of eternity. Let's live with urgency. When I lived in China, I went out to many different places. We lived in the city. We shared with students. We did stuff in the city, which was amazing. But we'd always try to get out of the city to go to places where we would truly meet people who had never even seen a Bible. And, and sometimes I literally met people most of the time in these areas out in western China, in the mountains, the Himalayan mountains, where they never even heard of the name of Jesus. So we're out on one of these trips, and there's four or five of us, and it's like a journey. You, you take a plane, a train, and then you're driving. And, like, I'm a redneck from Louisiana, so I drove in mud a lot. But, man, it's the rainy season. I'm driving up the side of these mountains with very small roads, no railings. And I'm sharing the road with sheep and cows and, 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 and other things. And, like, it's scary. You get into ruts, and it'll take you right up the mountain. So we're, like, driving up, and it's taking hour after hour to get to the top of this mountain to go share with this village. And on the way up... The, the translator, because we weren't even going to be able to share in Mandarin, it was a different dialect because of this people group. He was like, by the way, this people group, they're really violent. They don't like outsiders, and they don't really like learning about new things. 
I'm like, dude, do you see a roundabout anywhere? Because like we're, we're on a one-way road up a mountain and you've told me now six hours into the trip that it may not be a good idea that we go to share. You know? And of course, I'm just like, what, what are we going to do? And they need to hear this even if it's bad. So we, we pull in and it, truly there's no other way to go. So we pull in and we, we meet the tribal, the elder of the whole tribe and we're sitting down and we're, sh- we're talking and we're, we're eating food with him, which is great. And we start to share about Jesus and he's like, uh-uh, no, 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 we're not religious. Like, like that seems like something y'all do, but we're not religious. So I'm like, okay, that was a good shutdown, like, but no violence yet. And so I ask him, hey, what happens when people die in your culture? What happens when people die in your tribe? And he said, well, when people die in my tribe, we have a three-day ceremony. And I said, what do y'all do for those three days? They said, well, we, we, we get the body and we kill sheep. And we take the blood of the, the sheep and we sprinkle it over the body. Hmm. I was curious. So I said, why do you do that? And he said, because we're hoping that it will help the person move into the afterlife. I said, wait, I thought you weren't religious. He's like, well, you, you never can't be too sure, right? And so here I am, like, I mean, what a softball setup, right? Like, like, am I to love them and tell them, hey, I can save you sheep for the rest of your life and, and tell you the way that the Lamb of God who was slain for all people's has died for you even though you don't know him. He knows you. And I told him, and this guy's just like, get out of here. You made that up. I'm like, dude, it's right here, and this is written a long time before you started doing that. And he's shocked, and yet he did not know until I told him. The good news is only good news when people hear it and believe it. But they won't hear it unless we preach, and they won't, people won't preach unless we send them, right? So let's go. Man, there's people all over the planet. There's people all over Cincinnati who don't know that Jesus has opened the way so they can be seen by the God of love and holiness. Okay, I got one more. One more invitation, and this is important. There's, a da- there's an invitation in all of this to see a danger and to avoid it. And the danger to avoid is unholy lives and closed mouths. Jesus wants us to avoid taking all of this for granted because if we do take what he's done for granted and we take the knowledge of what he did, the opening that he's given us, the access to his father, the invitation to to share this and to be in the center of his will, not on the sidelines but at at the heart of all he's doing as his temple, as his priests who go and spread the good news to the ends of the earth, to take that for granted is to consider what God has done unworthy of your life. And that's to be unholy. Holiness is not just about avoiding sin. Holiness is about caring and loving what God loves more than anything else on this earth. The holy person is consumed with God. And it's so easy as believers, especially in a context where there's so much comfort, to forget what we've been saved for. When Jesus walked into the temple on that that day in the first century, a few days before he would be crucified. Do you think the people there who had crowded out the courts and had forgotten the purpose of the temple, the purpose to worship God and to live holy lives and to pray for the nations, do you think that that happened overnight? 
Do you think that their lives became filled with greed and commerce and busyness overnight? Or was it a gradual slide toward that? I'm pretty sure it was a gradual slide to take for granted the purpose of the temple. And for you and me, it can happen just that same way. We can know all the things that Jesus has done for us. We can be excited about big groups and things like the SALT conference, but we miss the passion that we need every day to live holy lives with open mouths who proclaim the goodness of Jesus wherever he sends us. And so that's my question to us. Will we avoid that? How easy is it for us right now to crowd out the temple of the Lord in our own lives with all kinds of noise that keeps us from the true purpose that God designed us for, enjoyment of him and mission to the nations? How easy is it? How easy is it for me to get busy with things that are trivial, not sinful, trivial, but worthy of forgetting a moment after I'm done? So are your courts cluttered? Is your temple net noisy? Is your house filled with things that don't really matter, treasures that are going to rot and waste away? Is your mouth closed when it comes to the most important message in all the world? I want us to avoid that. The Spirit wants to invite us to take very seriously the privilege of being the temple of God and just as Jesus on that day fought to physically cleanse that temple he will walk with you and me until we see him to spiritually cleanse this temple so that we more and more reflect his beauty and glory in our lives not because that will earn us something from God but simply because God's grace and love is so much that he will not leave us as he finds us he loves you too much to leave you comfortable in your brokenness, he's gonna to continue to invite you more and more into wholeness. And that happens as we, the people of God, are the temple of God and we say, Lord, cleanse us. Remove the things that are not worthy of your death or your life. And open our mouths so that we speak with joy and wisdom and courage to all that we meet that there is a savior who has died for them so that they may be with God for all of eternity. Holy lives, open mouths. That's the invitation from Jesus. Holy lives, open mouths. And that happens as we draw near. The more we draw near and we see his beauty, the more all the other things that will fill and clutter our lives seem so wasteful. The more we see him, the more we're like, oh my goodness, you died so that I could live. Is what I'm living for worthy of your death today? Holy lives, open mouths. So, what in your life tonight needs to be repented of? What's not helping you enjoy the Lord? What's crowding out your soul so that you can't hear his voice invite you deeper into his love? What's filling up your schedule so that you don't have time to pray for the nations or get on your knees and sing to him? What's, what's, What's consuming your heart and numbing your passion so that you don't want more of the glory of God? What created thing is taking over your word so that you speak more about what he created and less about the creator who saved you? Like, what do you broadcast? What do you talk about? Does it point people to Jesus? 
Man, church, the invitation is for us to draw near. And as we draw near, for to invite Christ to make us holy as he is holy and to give us a passionate message that will go to the ends of the earth. What do we need to repent of tonight? Because there's a movement. There's a movement that the Spirit of the Lord is working. There's a movement that will occur and will finish the Great Commission so that every nation and every tribe will have an opportunity to know Jesus and worship Jesus for all of eternity. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of it. Man, I want to dance around Jesus with brothers and sisters who do not look like me for all of eternity. I want to sing songs with them. I want to cultivate a new creation with them. I want to talk about how Jesus changed their life, and I want to hear their story. And I don't want it to be just about my simple, comfortable existence after I found out who Jesus is. There's a movement, and it typically spurs, is spurred on through students. Will you be a part of it? The SALT conference is just a little bitty inkling of a picture of what the Spirit of the Lord can do when you and I say, Lord, use me. Burn through me for your glory. Your, your college director and the, and the pastor of this church this summer are going to Japan to visit our team there. Pray for them. Because I pray that in 2024 that the salt company here at Cincinnati will be sending laborers, whether it's to Japan or India or Indonesia, but they will be sending laborers who will not just pray Luke 10-2 over this city, even though that is great, but they will be praying Luke 10-2 over the multitudes of the nations who do not know Jesus. Because there are people that do not know the sweet Savior that you and I sing to. Let's be a part of that movement. Will you pray with me? Father, it's Christ, it's Christ, it's Christ that has made a way for us to, to speak to you, to pray to you, and to not cower before you, but to come before you with joy and confidence as children of the Most High God. I pray that, that the invitation to draw near would be real and that the Spirit of the Lord would pull people in tonight and that there would be freedom that is found in your presence. And I pray, Lord, that as you are holy, you would help us become holy not just in position or in title, but in practice so that, Lord, with our words and our lives, we demonstrate to a watching world that there is a way to know God, not by effort, not by might, but through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, help us, help us in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna put a few questions up here just for you to sit with for just a moment. I talked a lot. I want you to be able to listen to the Lord. So would you just read these for just a moment and ponder what might the Spirit of the Lord be inviting you to do tonight? And, and who might you share with later about what God is prompting you toward?